Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 24, File Management Tips for Windows Users, recorded October 30th, 2011. Happy almost Halloween, Chris and Aaron. It's All Hallows Eve Eve. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. Uh, With us, as always, is uh, our command. Well, not as always, because both these guys have been absent recently, so I can't say that I'm the only one who's here with us, as always. But uh, (laughs) with us, as usual, is our command line godfather, Chris Neves. Welcome, Chris. Hello, everyone. And our noob in residence, the former fat guy, Aaron Butler. Good evening, everyone. Uh, Seth, uh, the gooey kid, is not with us. I mentioned last week he'd be gone for a couple weeks. Turns out I was right about that. So (laughs) he will hopefully be back next week. He's probably out uh, trick-or-treating early or something. <laughs> so, yeah, it is, uh, for whatever reason you might celebrate uh, All Hallows' Eve or Dia de los Muertos or whatever, uh, happy holiday uh, around here. We, My house particularly, we don't do a whole lot with the whole Halloween thing, but we do take the opportunity to, to eat lots of candy that we shouldn't. So, uh, happy <laughs> holiday, whatever it might be. I know for some people, um, this is a big deal, you know. Those oh, yeah. uh, of the more macabre uh, leanings, this is like it's, their Christmas. It's kind of both. It's the it's the holiday that everybody loves to love or loves to hate. Right. You know, yep. very few people are ambivalent about it. Either they're really into it or they're like, that's the devil holiday. Well, I've got a couple of Wiccan friends who, for them, this is their Christmas. This is their biggest day of the year. Uh, right. And then I've got Christian friends who condemn them for being devil worshippers. So you know, it works both ways. Exactly. But they're all my friends. We love all peoples here at Everyday Linux. That's right. <laughs> we we are no respecters of persons. We will insult and ridicule everyone equally. There like Stephen Colbert says, I don't see white and black. I just see American. That's right. <laughs> oh. All right, Steven. Chris, how's the knee? Almost better. Um, got, after seeing the doctor last week, he uh, cleared me to do um strength training for it so i can start building the muscle back up evidently i have a little bit of uh muscle entropy that he doesn't want me to do any agility training until that's been cleared up so 60 percent Aaron, is there a tough mutter in wyoming uh there's one in wisconsin um you know i don't know if there's one in wyoming or not but i can tell you by the time you get done with this segment (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, that would be uh, definitely a way to train your knee or destroy it after it's been trained. That would be the test to run a tough mutter on that thing. Now, that's like Lower Canada, right? That's what we're talking? <laughs> Something like that. Wyoming. Is that a big state? Kind of stretches up across the top of the country? Yeah. Just west of, of the Dakotas? Up around, yeah, Dakotas, Wyoming, Montana. Yeah, we're all in the same boat. So you start over in the top left-hand corner, and you got Washington, and then you have the, the Idaho pointer sticking up there, and then that's you. Your Wyoming's next, yep. right? It's Montana. almost Montana. Next. That's it. Wyoming's then, south of me. Oh, there you are. Okay, so there's one in Colorado. <laughs> there's one in Utah. Uh, there's one in Minnesota. Uh, the closest one for you probably is in Minnesota. Um, What's the per capita per population? Do you know that, Chris? I know it's very sparse. You've got more land than people, right? Yeah. I, off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you. But I know, it, there, I think there's more cattle than there are people up here. Yeah. How far are you from Vancouver? Chris? Oh, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. I'd have to look it up. That's all right, then. There is one in Vancouver as well, if you really wanted to go to Canada to do one. 
You know, there's a reason I do want to go to Canada, though, but it's not for a tough mud or anything of the sort. There's a haunted house up that way that is supposed to be the scariest thing on the uh, the continent. And I think it'd wow. be great to go see. You know, I have never, well, I don't want to say never, never since I, you know, reached the age of enlightenment, whatever that is, 12 or 13, somewhere around there. Once I realized that nobody in this house can hurt me, right, by law. If they hurt me, people will go to jail. I, uh, that that ruined it for me. I've never been scared at a haunted house since. I go in there and I'm like, "There's no chain on that chainsaw. That's not a real needle. You can't, you know." And there's a difference between being startled and being scared. Sure, I'm startled yeah. when something jumps out at me, but I've never been scared uh, in you know my adult life. Not that I can remember. Well, I'll tell you one thing, Mark. Then don't come up here for the uh, our haunted haunt our haunted hollow that we have because the chainsaws do have chains and the needles are real needles. So <laughs> yeah, but they're not going to hurt me. They can't hurt. No, me. no, they won't hurt you, but they'll definitely make you jump. Maybe. Yeah. My son I, has sworn off of it, by the way, he, he will never go into it again. That's why I don't like those kind of movies. Uh, because most, there are two kinds of horror movies and I'm using air quotes there for, uh, the, all of you not watching on the stream. Um, there, there, there's blood and guts, and then there's jump out and scare you, uh, startle you. There are no horror. There's no scaring in a movie anymore. They, it's Very either, few. It's either gross out or startle. Yeah. Yep. And neither of those appeal to me. And I certainly don't want to pay eight bucks to go sit in a sticky seat for the problem. Well, I'll tell you privilege. what. I'll tell you what I did this week. Uh, I was in Wisconsin for training. I uh, got done at noon on Friday and needed to do something to burn the afternoon and and burn some brain cells apparently. The only thing that I could agree with the guy that I was with, the one other person on my team that was still there to go see begrudgingly, and I say strongly begrudgingly, was Paranormal Activity 3. You just described it to the T, Mark. It was a low-budget, cheesy movie with about three, ah, and um, very, very little quote-unquote horror and I laughed more than I was scared and walked to there saying, that's two hours of my life. I'll never get back. And, uh, yeah, it's just nothing, nothing to it. <laughs> that's usually how it seems to be going. It's either a jump scare or gore. Yeah. And yeah, I agree. There's no such thing as horror anymore. Where's the Freddy <laughs> Cougar or the Jason anymore? You, you don't get that type of scare anymore. Uh, well, I, I'm not. I was with you with Freddy Krueger, right? When I first saw that as a kid, that, that was a was, scary movie. That was scary. But oh, the yeah. Friday the Thirteenth ones, that was just random chick taking her shirt off and then getting a knife shoved through the back of her head. I mean, that was well, that was it. I'd like to throw a and bone. I, away. No, don't get me wrong. I was firmly in favor of this taking her shirt off part. Right. <laughs> I, I want to throw a bone way back to my first blog that I did. Uh, called erroneous findings. It, it is now pretty much defunct because I'm everything I'm doing is around one million workout. I wrote a two or three blog series about how to write a horror movie, and what I did is I extracted all the uh, all the um, cliche scenes from all the horror movies, and then just used a randomizer type thing, and then actually wrote a horror movie. <laughs> it was like pick a random topic. Okay, pick five of the following scenes. Arrange them in any order. <laughs> <laughs> you know, have a horror movie, <laughs> and uh, I actually did it, and uh, it was not too bad. I, I would, it would probably be better than Paranormal Activity three, to be honest with you. Um, and so, yeah, they're they're, they're so formulaic these days. Um, just not that much to them. I would, 
I'd rather see Wait Until Dark with Claude, uh, Audrey Hepburn from the 50s, early 60s, where um, it was actually a thriller or uh, R- Room with a View. I don't know if you remember that one. Um, that was quite intense where the guy's in a body cast and uh, sees a murder across the hallway and right. can't get over there. I mean, that was just like, oh, oh, oh. The Vertigo, same same sort of. Vertigo, yes. Another awesome yep. one. Yep. I wrote a blog post a, a little while back, and I think I mentioned it on the Taiwan Tech uh, show. This summer, I took my kids to um, the the museum, the science fair, uh, science so, place. What? Sorry, I'm, I'm laughing at my own blog post. I yeah. called it Terror in a Can. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and we, we went and we saw this exhibit of animatronic dinosaurs, and I did them in the wrong order. And then after we left the science museum, we went across the street to the Natural History Museum, which was dead things stuffed behind glass. And which do you think was more interesting to them? The fake ones, of course, you know, because they were, these dinosaurs breathed on you, right? They had compressed gas that breathed on you. And then, uh, so I think the thing is, we're so jaded now that if, if we watched, you know, the original Night of the Living Dead from the 60s, I think it was, we, we laugh at it. It's comedy now, but it used to be, you know, terrible. And maybe that's why movies can't scare us anymore is because there's nothing scares us anymore. We were so jaded. We know everything is fake. The the um, absurdity level has risen so high that we just can't be scared anymore. Right. Yep. Just a quick aside while we're talking about movies. I watched, uh, I bought, actually, um, the Transformers 3. Uh-huh. And I, Aaron, I saw your review of it. Sam throws a fit, robots, explosions. Sam throws a fit, robots, explosions. Sam <laughs> throws a fit. And, I, you know, I knew that's what it was because you pretty much described the plot of the first two movies as well. But um, there was more fits in the third one, I think. But anyway, <laughs> I was I, I was the thing that struck me most about this one is suddenly the robots bleed, right? So for two movies, the robots didn't bleed when they got hit, but now they bleed. Where'd the blood come from? Right. There's so many plot holes in that movie. All 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 three of them, all the way around. Like for example, in the first one, Megatron is frozen, right? Yeah. But then they can go out into space. I'm sorry, which is colder, space or Antarctica? Yeah, I don't know about that one. And then, well, they, and, and then they breathe. They actually breathe, but then yeah. they can walk on the moon. Wait a minute. If they can walk on the moon, they don't have to breathe. They're robots. Why would they breathe anyway? So, well, yeah. I, I like how that not only did that, was there a spaceship on the backside of the moon. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler right. alert. Yeah. Oh, late. I've already reviewed it. Told you the whole movie. Um, but the, uh, <laughs> they never went. Why did we ever never go back to the ship and get any more technology? I'm not sure. Oh, and by the way, there's a thousand robots hidden in the sand around it. Yeah, we never noticed. <laughs> we took billions of dollars of equipment with us, and nobody ever thought to include a metal detector. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. Now, back to something Linuxy. Chris, you've decided to go back to Fedora after we ripped on it so severely? Uh, there's a chance of it, actually. Um, I was downloading the the new bait, the new what Fedora 16 comes out in like nine days, and I downloaded the beta, the live beta, just to try it. And most people have, if they've listened to us, have remembered that my laptop is kind of finicky with all the newest releases of Linux, um, to the point where it's unusable when I boot off the live disk. Um, it's something to do with the ACPI systems. This is the first disk, the first live version that has worked flawlessly inside of my disk. 
uh, inside of my computer. Um, if it holds true when it releases, there's a pretty good chance I'll move. Even though they're going with GNOME 3? Well, you can install KDE still, though. Okay. So I, I don't have to worry about that. So I'll be looking forward to your review. Maybe uh, next show or two shows from now? We can. Uh, let's see. It. it releases the, I believe it's the 10th. I'll probably have it installed that weekend. So, yeah, we could probably do it that next show after it releases. I'll double check the release date to make sure. But yeah, that'll be great. I think. But aren't we? I think we have another show already planned for that weekend. It might be the following weekend. Okay. It's so unusual that we have anything planned. That caught me off guard. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "What? We the, have what?" The planning for this show usually begins at about um, seven Wednesday. fifty when we record <laughs> at eight. <laughs> no, it was literally what was it? It was classic. Uh, the little you know inside baseball. There, it's Thursday. Chris sends an email to the list and says, "So, guys, it's Thursday. Anybody got an idea for a show?" And <laughs> nothing. <laughs> and it's not until like midday Friday I respond, well, maybe we could do this. And still nothing. And like a day later on Saturday, Chris says, I think we can make a show out of that. So that's that's how we roll here at Everyday <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. And then at some well, point Especially in there, since we're not getting anything from, you know, any feedback from you guys that are listening to us, you know, come on. Right. Yeah. So if this show uh, is uh, lame, uh, it's not our fault, right? We are exactly. officially pushing the blame off on you. Well, at That's some right. point in there, I always chime in with, I got nothing, just so you know that I'm reading the emails. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Seth usually does the same. <laughs> I, I, I did my one um, my, my one show topic that I was able to come up with however many weeks ago that was it, and that's all I got. I I, I, I was responsible for the last week's that's show right. topic. You brought Tim, Tom, Tim. Tom, Tom. Tim, Tim Tom. 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 Tom Little. He will be Tim Tom to me from now on. That, that reminds me of a funny story. Does that mean tell it or are we done warming up? Well, you know, why not? We we don't have any things. <laughs> My sister worked for a fastener company, Brazos Fasteners. That must have been and, fascinating. Uh, say what? Never I missed that. Okay. And um yeah, it was actually it's quite a robust business. And they um <sighs> they had they hired this guy named Tim to write some inventory tracking software for him because uh, he was supposed to be some kind of computer guru. Well, then months went by and they realized that, A, he didn't really, wasn't really a computer guru. He had written the software for him. He had taught himself how to do it sitting in his cubicle at his day job where his name was actually Brian. <laughs> so the guy told him, gave him a false name, wrote the software, was paid in cash apparently, uh, and kind of one of those Bill Gates, teach yourself as you go along. You know, we don't really have DOS 1.0 yet, but we say we have it and we'll go fix, make it if you decide to buy it. So uh, in, a, in a, a, an attempt to ridicule him and shame him for his immoral behavior, they called him Brian Tim for the rest of their working career. <laughs> Brian Tim. So that's how they referred to him. Well, we need to call Brian Tim and get him to, you know, add this other blah, blah, blah to the software. That's funny. Brian Tim. But they he, they kept letting him work there. Well, once he had once he had uh once he had um written the software and they'd already implemented it and were using it, 
You know, they were already, they had already drank the Kool-Aid to use the horrible, <laughs> terrible expression. And it wasn't until like a year into it that they found that, that he didn't really know how to do it when he started and had kind of used somebody else's as a bare bones and taught himself programming in his cubicle of his day job. And his name really was Brian. <laughs> I don't know whether his middle name was Tim or what, but it was pretty funny. Wow. Brian Tim. That's crazy. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. So uh, just a, a quick tip that, I wanted to throw out there, uh, thank you, Chris, for this one. Uh, we were, before we started the show, my computer was uh, going a little crazy. And it had I, ghosts. Yeah, I wanted to kill Flash, and I couldn't find what Flash was in the system uh, event viewer, system monitor, as it's called in Linux. And Chris told me that the Flash viewer is called NP viewer. So makes perfect you, sense. Yeah, it does. It makes perfect sense. So if you're having any trouble with Flash and you want to kill just that, just the Flash plug-in without anything else, go to your system monitor and kill NP Viewer. And when I did that, all my fans in my laptop went, and the CPU usage went down to like 4% from 100%. So uh, there you go. Just a little little quick tip, NP Viewer. Well, since you were actually put some content in the show there i feel the need to totally go off track if you guys look behind me on the wall that's actually my green floppy hat that i always wear when i'm working outside or camping hanging on a nail on the wall in my bedroom but it looks like those triple things not they weren't called tribbles from the star trek episode that clung to the walls that looks like you know big omelets and they would stick on you and oh remember the, that episode? the the brain one the, yeah. they were giant brain cells mm-hmm. they weren't tribbles tribble was the little furry one i can't right. remember what that one was called but doesn't that look like one of those um, sure. Why not? I just thought that it really did. <laughs> if you see it moving, please tell me. <laughs> well, wait, it, it could be almost one of those brain snatchers, the ones that it, uh, well, I can't remember the movie now, but yeah, it's, that's what a brain, the one of the brain snatchers looked like they that attached was, to your neck. That was the episode where Spock told us that pain is an emotion. Yes. Yeah. Pain. Yeah. Healing. Yeah, that was a great one. Some of, some of Nimoy's best acting. Yeah, that was among that. I mean, that was a bad one among bad ones. Let's just say yeah. it was. It was better than Spock's brain. I think we all agree Spock's brain was the worst Star Trek episode ever. It's that darn green Vulcan blood of his. Anyway, yeah. Speaking of which, I watched the uh, the new Star Trek again today. Uh, That's a great movie. Yeah. It once you the the problem for me is once you notice that there are a lens flare in every scene. Then from then on, you can only see lens flares. So now I've just ruined the movie for you. The Thank you. I never noticed it. it. The next time you watch it, you will see a lens flare in every scene of the movie. That's hilarious. I'm going to have to go back and watch it now just to see that. I'm going to have to count how many lens flares I see. I'm not kidding. It's not an exaggeration. It's every scene of the movie. Even the ones that are digitally composed, they put in lens flares to match the lens flares that they were making with the cameras. It, it, it's true. I saw that I own the DVD and, and one of the special features is JJ Abrams talking about the extravagant lengths they went to, to get a lens flare in every shot. Like there was a guy standing off scene with a spotlight shining it at the camera while the camera's panning around the room so that they can get a lens flare. Why were they so enamored of the lens flare? Go figure. I got me. I don't know. And uh, then the, one of the special effects guys talked about how they had to match the lens flares and their, all their special effects shots. Wow. Simon Pegg was great in that movie. <laughs> Just a little cameo of, you know, he's Scotty. Right. Uh, that was great. Okay, moving on. 
So uh, if you're a Windows user, we uh, Tim Tom brought this up last week. He was asking, Tim. he was asking some questions about uh, how to uh, do some things that he wasn't familiar with from the Windows world, and so that that sort of became the a whole topic about this because there are other things out there that if you're a Windows user and you you've grown up so to speak in the Windows environment and you move to Linux, there are certain things that you expect to work and they don't. Certain metaphors. Um, that just fall apart, that, that for whatever reason, the designers of GNOME and KDE decided not to do it. And so we thought we would cover those. It's, it's going to be fairly short, which is okay, because we've rattled on here for like 25 minutes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, First, <laughs> I just wanted to go with uh, the file system. Like, if you're a, uh, a Windows user and you look at your C drive, and we've already said on the show a number oh, of times there I is know. no C, um, yeah. you're going to be, you're going to see things like, uh, windows and program files and user data and, and those things. And, and those make sense. But in Linux, when you look at the, the root directory, which is just a slash, you're going to see USR and VAR and OPT. And those are not quite as obvious as to what that means. And just a, a little bit of history. These were all written back when every byte of memory cost you $10,000. So if you could make things small, Usernames very small. You did so. A lot of Linux commands and, and Linux things are are three characters or less. And yep. so, uh, where by the time Windows XP came along, you could have a 255 character file name. And so that's why you have program space files. Uh, but that that hasn't moved over to Linux probably for backward compatibility purposes. But Chris, what is USR? So uh, the uh, I guess anymore it's being used for the. Uh uh, oh, what the heck's all in there? There are different bin files and uh, command or it's I universal mean, system the, resources. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and it's it's like the uh, in Windows the uh, common DLLs folder. You'll see common yep. uh, program, common file, something like that. That's that's what it is. It's the, it's stuff that more than one program is likely to need. So or more than one user, more than one user, right? Uh, and then. There's a, a binary, a bin file, and so there's bin, and then there's USR slash bin. <laughs> so that's, yep. that's bin files, binary files. We'll go to that next one. Uh, bin files are pre-compiled, uh, pre-compiled programs, right? They're not source code or they're not uh, uh, config files. They're the actual EXEs is what we call them in Windows. Yep. They mostly live in bin or USR bin. Yeah, that's exactly what they are. Um, and if, if you're really wanting to, you know, kind of see what type of programs are built into your system, you can go look in PIN or USR, USR slash PIN and just kind of look around and see all the different names. You, you, some of them you'll know, right? You'll notice right away and re- remember, but other ones should be like, what the heck is like ZGREP? You know, our noob in residence has a question. Yes, noob. How did you know? Uh, OPT. I'm I'm guessing that's some kind of options thing, but I am currently in the process of learning a new software application at work, and it's got a, a front end GUI that everybody uses, but it also has an administrative tool in the background that's done in a terminal set, um, kind of a terminal emulator type thing, and one of the commands is OPT, which takes you back to the root directory, the remote root root command line, not command line, the main menu screen. If, you're, if I'm five screens down into it and I type OPT at a command at the command line, and hit enter. It will take me back to the main menu list. And I was wondering if that is a, I know that the database is actually a, 
um, Linux proprietary based type database. And I was wondering if that's a holdover from that. Is there any relation? Is there a command line OPT command, Chris? Oh, Godfather of the command line. Not that I've ever used. No, I've never heard of. Yeah, OPT is not. Um, there is a C. What you're talking about is the. Uh, um, wait, I had it just on the tip of my tongue. Telnet. But now let me Google it. Um, Chris, you're sitting there in front of Linux, aren't you? Yeah. Drive, drill of down course. like five. Options, drill down. The options parse, parsing tool. That is the tool that's a, a, a component of the C programming language. So that's probably what you're talking about. That's different just, than the OPT directory. I was just curious if he went like four or five directories into a folder at the command line and hit OPT if it taking him back to the root folder and they had stolen that idea from a Linux. Now, generally, that's CD slash. That's, yeah. Yeah. Generally. Or CD dot dot. Yeah. Are you uh, willing to try it? What the, what the opt folder is, though, is the place for optional stuff. It's stuff that, that doesn't, that it's add-ons. It's not part of the, the uh, OS, and it's not part of the user stuff. It's a program that you've added outside the OS. Like, for example, one of my favorite tools, Backup PC, um, installs itself in the opt folder. Uh, what else does? Uh, uh, I think maybe Fog does. I don't remember. But uh, OpenFire, the uh, the the uh, XMPP client uh, server, installs itself in the opt program. So it's sort of like program files for Linux, but it's for non uh, non Linux, but things that run under Linux. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's kind of uh, another th- a couple other things that are installed in there, like the Google Talk plugins. Those are all installed in OPT. Um, also, the Boxy, if you're using Boxy, that installs an OPT. Um, so some it's kind of flash, like the program file folder. Some, some of the Flash installers install the lib Flash player thing. That goes in op too. Yeah. So it, it is like the program files, but it's it's more like for cross-platform programs as opposed to things that might be... Like if you install OpenOffice... That's going to be in the bin or the USR bin, or probably uh, in in both. It it splits itself up into into different parts. And so, Chris, oh great command line Godfather, how would I find where something is if I'm looking for it on the machine? Well, you can use find. Uh, come, come on, command line. What would I do? Well, no, that's the command line. Find. Find or which is the one. I or was which? Of. Yep. Which is another one. Find works too. Which um, is appropriate for Halloween. <laughs> which. Oh. Which? <laughs> so yeah, you say uh, which um, which gcalc, and it'll mm-hmm. show you all the places on your system where gcalc lives. Seriously, based on that, huh? Which locksmith? <laughs> sorry, yeah, you're breaking up here. I'm sorry, I'm, I, we didn't hear you. Uh, so that Siri must be based based Siri? on that. <laughs> which locksmith? You know, do I need? And then, of course, the what we talked about a little bit last week is the home. Home is is the users folder, sort of. Um, uh, like in Windows Seven, they sort of went to the way Linux has done it. And I'm not sure; I don't have enough Mac experience to know how they do it. But yeah. like, there's the users folder in Windows, and then usernames under users, and that's that's directly analogous to the way uh, Linux has done it forever. There's the home folder. And then, like the the 
the Chris folder under home or the Mark yep. folder under home. And that's where all of our personal data lives. Right. And where also you can install your own custom programs too. Like uh, if you're running wine, that's yeah. where wine gets installed. All your, your wine programs are installed under your username, not under opt or bin or anything else that are under your name. Um, there's also a bunch of games that you can download that do the same thing. They make a bin file under your name and then that's where they install. So that way it's all, it's constrained underneath your user privileges. Yeah, well, I have to say, this is not something we've ever talked about before and I'm very excited to learn this. <laughs> uh, it gets really complicated when you're looking for, like if you want to manually delete something. Because uh, unlike other OSs, Linux will throw things all over your hard drive. Like Dropbox, for example, you'll have data in your home folder. You'll have data in the USR folder. You have data in the USR bin folder. You have data in the bin folder. And you'll have data in the var folder. Yeah, and you see that a little bit in Windows. Um, if you really are trying to manually delete something, people call the call call it that they've deleted it when they go in program files and they find the file called application name and they click on it and they hit delete, but they didn't get the DLLs out of the system 32 folder and things right. like that. It just sounds like this is even possibly worse. Right. Yep. Uh, and we, one that we didn't mention was the VAR, V-A-R. Uh, that is generally where output goes. Log files and things like that it goes in the VAR folder for the most part. Question. Yes. What was I going to ask you? That's the first question. Because it's, <laughs> I was like, oh, registry. Is there a, a thing analogous of the registry in? No. Nope. There Hallelujah. is no centralized database of settings. They're well, that's all the, in, that's in, reason enough right there to switch to Linux. Does it never have to mess with the registry again? <laughs> well, registries have their their good points, too. Uh, I know. I know. I know. The, uh, everything is in, in its own text file, in its own config file, which generally you... Uh, is a hidden file, and I mentioned this last week, but we'll re-mention again. Chris, how do you hide a file in Linux? You put a period in front of it. Right. Start it with dot simple as that. anything else. And I have a question. Yes? You, uh, in Windows, if you put dir, comma, when you're in the command line, it'll show you hidden files. Will it do the same thing in Linux? Uh, what is the command line way to show hidden files, Chris? I don't know. I, I know how to do it, and I just forgot. I'd be curious if the comma worked in Linux. It sounds like something they would steal from Linux because it's a very shorthand way to do it. Why don't you make a file hidden real fast, Chris, and then throw the so dear comma in doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already trying to find it. Nope. The comma doesn't do it. Okay. I know there's a way to do it. I just can't think of it off the top of my head. In Nautilus uh, or Conqueror or whatever uh, your... Um, graphical system is generally there's a show hidden files option uh, typically control h will right. show it and no yes in linux uh, under uh dolphin it's um alt period okay so that's that's something to know that that and also you can go up into the you know options or view or something that's always there same way it would be in yep. windows right you know, we don't have anybody on this show with, with any real Mac knowledge to even talk about that. But then again, this is a Linux show, not a Mac show. Right. <laughs> so um, You don't have to actually learn anything about Macs, Mark. You just use them. Um, largely, <laughs> no, that's there, true. There's no learning required. 
They want you to think that. Right. Well, I remember when I bought my first iMac G3, you know, the one that looked like a single monitor, the old, old school one. Yeah. Like a 90, 95, 97. And I opened the box up and the instructions were, were a full size sheet of paper, you know, like they weren't what exactly eight and a half by 11. That would be too standard. It was like nine and a half by 12, um, you know, single fold. So it opened up like a restaurant menu. And on the front, it said getting started. You opened it up and it had a picture of the unit sitting there and a picture of a guy plugging the power cable in. And then the next picture was a guy plugging the keyboard in and then plugging the mouse into the side of the keyboard because it was the kind that did that, daisy-chained USB. Then the next picture had the guy hitting the power button. That was the setup instructions. Remember the Jeff, the Jeff Goldblum commercials? Step one, plug in. Step two, get connected. Step three, there is no step yeah. three. Yep. Yeah, remember the other thing Jeff Goldman did where he talked about chaos and people getting eaten by dinosaurs? That was the other. <laughs> that was more entertaining. The plucky comic relief. Chris, you find it? Yes, I did. It's LS space hyphen A for all. Oh, okay. And LS is the DIR equivalent. Yep. It's the list files list. Did you try LS comma? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. <laughs> okay. I, I I did it just to see if it if it was going to show up or not, but no, it doesn't show up. Okay, so and a couple other things, uh, doing dealing more with the GUI side of things. Um, too bad Seth isn't here for this part. Uh, but like, if you want to, this is this is one that gotten me a uh, lots of times because I I use Linux uh, in a Windows environment. You can mount a Windows share uh, through Samba. Effortlessly through the easier than it is to say it <clears throat> through the the GUI. You just click network. It scans the network. You click the computer you want. Shows you all the shares, all the stuff you're used to. But once you like, you want to edit a text file. You can't edit that text file. You can't right click and edit. Won't let you. You have to copy it locally, make your changes, then copy it back. And I'm sure there's a good reason for that. But so it won't let you edit the file on that. You can't make changes to a Samba share that you're connecting right. to over the network. Now you okay. can if you mount it, and then it treats it right. as a local share, local drive. Yeah, but that's that's different. But if if it's just a mounted share that you're searching over the internet, you can't directly edit. And this that you know working in the school like I do, that's a thing that comes up a lot is that students will, will log into the, the, the file server, which is Windows, on their Linux thin clients or whatever, and they say, I can't edit my thing. Well, yes, you can. Copy it over here, make your change, copy it back. It's dumb, and I think it should be fixed. But I also am on record as saying I also think that file uh, case sensitivity is a glitch in Linux that should be fixed. Files should not be case sensitive. In the same way, you shouldn't have to copy things locally. But uh, I, Chris, uh, do you have an experience with any other? Is that true only for Samba, or is there as far as far as I know? Yeah. Um, the only thing I could try tomorrow when I get back to to the school is I have a um, Unraid server set up, and they don't use um, Samba when you're talking from a Linux to the the Unraid. They use um, NFS, right? Not effing secure. Yeah, right. Uh, NFS, so you I, can you can edit directly. I've done that before. Yeah, and so I mean, it depends on how you have your stuff shared. But yeah, as far as I know, if you're copy, if you're working on a Samba connection, yeah, you you have to either mount it or copy it local. Yeah, 
And mounting is something that usually takes root access or at least a password, so it's not easy to script it. Like, you can know. you go ahead? Can you talk about mounting for just a few seconds? Because for somebody from the Windows world, that whole idea and concept and need is totally foreign. Um, mount, let's, that's like when you put your USB drive in and it pops up and asks what you want to do, you're mounting that then. That's the Windows version of it. Uh, so, uh, in Linux, you can access a network share or you can use the mount command and it's, I'm sure Chris has it off the top of his head being the command line godfather, but it's mount dash something, something, something. And then that tells it this is no longer a Windows drive out there on another machine, but a local drive, local to me, and I will treat it as such. Yeah. Um, I don't mount Samba shares that often to the GUI, so I'm not, I don't remember the commands exactly, but yeah. Um, the other thing you can do to mount a Samba share is use the uh, FS tab and right. edit that. Step uh, that's what I usually do. If I need to mount a, a, a Samba share on boot up, is I'll mount it under FS tab. And what FS tab is, is a file, I guess, file system tab. I'm not sure, but FS tab is just that. The things that you want mounted in the background, like I, I use a Drobo, for example, and I have to have an entry in the FS tab for that so that every time the machine boots up, it goes out, connects to that machine, and mounts to it without me having to interface with it. Yep. It works cool. kind of nice, too, because once you get your, once you know the, the syntax to put in the FS tab, you can have it mount anything. Um, it, it just works once you have it set up. Yep. It's knowing that syntax that can catch you. <laughs> As is with many things in Linux. Yep. And the one that I mentioned again last week, and it bit me just today. Um, I wanted to rename a file. I clicked it, waited half a second, clicked it again to rename that only it just laughed at you it says why did you click me i've already been clicked what are you doing so you know being the trained monkey that i am um i did it again and it didn't work and then i did it you know it's it's crazy it's like uh the rat that's trained when you push the button and food comes out the first time no food comes out he pushes it again then he pushes it again Have, have you ever put money in vending machine and didn't get the soda out. That's exactly what you do. You push the button again and again, and then suddenly you start to realize, oh, there's a problem. So yeah, I click, 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 click. Oh, I'm on Linux crap. Well, you know, so, what's funny is I would actually be fine with them taking that away in Windows because I inadvertently do it sometimes, you know, click and don't do it yeah. quite fast enough. And, and so for me, if I'm going to rename the file, I'm already going to the keyboard from the mouse anyway. So I click on the file F2 start typing. I'm fine with that. Yeah, but see, if I don't want it, sometimes I don't want to rename it. Sometimes I want to copy the name of it. That's fine, too. So slow click, slow click, right click, click. copy, yeah. paste. That That's my workflow. I either want to work from the keyboard or the mouse. I don't want to mix the two. So yeah. I'll do a copy select. <laughs> I do everything from the mouse or I'll do it from the keyboard. And when you make me go between the two, it it uh, disrupts it my you. OCD a little bit. You know? <laughs> yeah. See, and with me... I don't use a double click to open anything. Windows or Linux, I have everything set to single click open. Oh, you're one of those. Ooh, yeah, I don't want to limit how much use I have for that mouse. Oh, um, I, I don't ever want to work on any of your computers. 
It would be a nightmare. I'd have, I'd have like 50 windows open and yeah. you know, I'd be calling the government. Things would be going off in the background. Like, What's going on? Let's play global thermonuclear war. No, click. Oh, no. Exactly. The, the, the counselor at my high school is one of those people, the, the single click people. She's also a Mac user and that's the default behavior on Mac. And yeah. so I go to sit down at her desk and I've launched Firefox five times before I even know it. <laughs> <laughs> Heaven forbid if you tried to rename it on a Linux machine. <laughs> It'd be like slow click, slow click, slow click, slow click. Yeah, I, I've been yelled at numerous times when people sit down in front of my box and they freak up because a mouse opens everything that you click on. Well, it's even it's worse on Linux uh, because it doesn't show you the little underline that tells you it's set up that way. There's no yeah. indication that it's set up that way other than the fact that you launched four <laughs> windows and you didn't know it. That's why I booby chat my stuff. You shouldn't That's be right. on my boxes unless I have a reason. You have a reason to be there. Keeps the riffraff <laughs> out. That's exactly right. Another thing that I do a lot is right click and drag to move something. Uh, like yeah. if you're moving between two discs, the natural behavior is to copy. If you're moving within the same disc, the natural behavior behavior is to move. But sometimes I'm on the same disc and I want to move, or I'm between discs and I want to. Uh, or scratch that reverse it. I'm on the same disc I want to copy and I'm on between disc and I want to move. A right click gives you a context menu when you get to the end and says what do you want to do? Move, copy, rename, whatever. Um that doesn't exist in Linux and that's another one of those things that gets me all the time. I can't I, I'll, I'll right click on something and the context menu pops up immediately. I'm like, ugh, I didn't mean to do that. Well and that's that's because again if you're a version of using a combination, I use the shift and control with a left click to either copy or move. Right. You know what I mean? So if I'm going from drive to drive, I hold control down and then it forces it to move or I can hold shift to make it make a copy. Because I don't mind using both hands. I've got two. The other one's not doing anything if I'm on the mouse. Why not go ahead and use it? <laughs> no, I, I, twice I, I like to drive with the mouse. I mean, there yeah. are time, if I could do an on-screen keyboard, sometimes I would do that. You know, I've got my cozy beverage in my left hand and I'm driving the mouse <laughs> with my right hand. I've actually had to use that on-screen keyboard just recently because the computer I was working on, the uh, it, it was an older machine and it wouldn't. The USB drivers weren't installing, and it didn't. Ha but it didn't have a PS2 port either, so I actually had to turn on the uh, Mobility Access on-screen keyboard to log in and install the drivers. <laughs> it was great, a lot of fun. I never thought okay. about using it that way. I usually usually just remote um, RDP or right. VNC or remote control it to put in USB drivers. So I never thought about using the on-screen keyboard. Yeah, the, the network driver wasn't working either. Oh. <laughs> that was the other thing that was working. It was basically you were all sorts Windows, of messed up then. It was Windows XP Service Pack Zero. So once <laughs> oh. again, I want to make a plea for the VGA driver of network. Thank you. That was my point exactly the other day. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know that millions of Linux developers listen to the show every day. Linus himself is a listener of the show. Um, mm -hmm. I have that on good authority. I made it up. Uh, so, you know, Linus, <laughs> make it happen. Um, wow. Create a universal, low-res, but always works driver for network. That would be awesome and a half. Would be. I happen to have a friend that's way up in the Linux world. I haven't told you all this yet, by the way. I know a guy. I think I've seen you his resume one time, Mark, just for fun, years ago. He is actually a... Um, kernel developer guy for Yahoo's servers that he, he's like into the elbows and 
His computer's in a in a in a uh, in a particle free cabinet. He has to reach through with gloves just to use his computer. <laughs> it's not quite that bad, but no, he is. He he's to the point. Um, you know, I can talk uh, comfortably on many subjects that I know nothing about. Obviously, since I'm on the show, and me just trying to tell somebody else in his presence what he did, he would have to stop me and correct me 15 times. <laughs> no, I, that's not actually what I do. Aaron. I, I, uh, no, that's not really what I do. No, that's not what I do. You know, um, so he is like, he is the inner working. I think they use Red Hat still, and that's kind of what his deal is. Anyway, I can call him. I'll, I'll get him to write us one. <laughs> yeah, that would be great if he would if he would do that. Of course, Yahoo, would. I think their stock right now is selling for um, minus 50 cents. Like for every stock yeah. share they buy, they give you 50 cents. I didn't so. say he's working for the strongest company. <laughs> You may not still be there anymore. He may uh, not. In fact, he did change companies. I don't remember now that I talk, think about it. The next thing I had on the list there is something that always bites new users is, and we've talked about it before, is the execute bit. Yep. When you download something from the internet, 99.9999% of the time, it's not going to be executable. So you download something, you click the button, and then it pops up a box and says, I'm sorry, Dave, I can't do that. Um, and what you have to do is you have to right-click on it and then go into the properties, go into the permissions, and set the execute bit, which says, I give you permission to run this program. It's just yep. a security thing built in. There's no reason it couldn't be on by default, and there may be distributions where it is, but I've never found one. I think it has mm. to do with a lot of times how the file is sent up to the, the network or to the Internet. Because I've downloaded a couple of files before, and I can't think of them off the top of my head. I think one is the perfect Buntu script. It comes down with execute bit on, but that's the way he uh, set it up to come down. So I think it has a lot to do with how the person has it on the internet. And just just so you know, the there are in Windows there's three attributes: uh, system, hidden, or um, archive. archive. So, um, and I think, I think the archive is de deprecated and doesn't really even get used anymore. Uh, but the system file, it, it says just that. This is a system file, treat it like a system file. Then there's the hidden file. Uh, all the other ones, the read-only. Read-only, yeah. So there's, there's four. In uh, Windows, uh, in Linux, there are four also. There's read, write, execute, and then, um, what's the fourth one? Sticky. I don't remember what sticky is, Chris. Do you? No, it's not my. I, I can't think of it off the top of my head. <laughs> so, uh, but it's... basically, you get you have the permissions to just like read read it, or write to it, or execute it. You can do them arbitrarily and in it, like it. For example, in Windows, oh. if you hit the execute bit, the read bit is automatically set. Just by that's the way it works. You have to you can go in and like do the uh, special uh, advanced properties, and you can change that if you want to, but. Uh, that in Linux, it's all arbitrary. So there's read, write, and execute. You can you can read this file, you can write to this file, or you can run this file as a program. And the directory bit, is the other one. Directory. Okay. Yeah. Is it a directory or is it a file? Right. Yeah. So yeah, which is interesting because there is no distinction in the Linux world between those two. They're just pointers, and it could be a pointer to a file yep. or a directory, and you can tell it what it is. So, but that doesn't come in. Very often, and we talked about it in a previous show, we talked about chmod and 755 and 777, uh, but I just wanted to mention that again, that the the execute bit and setting permissions, the, if you're not a command line godfather, what you're going to do that is right-click the file, 
go to properties and it's there in the uh the property settings yeah and this next one we talked about last week with tim tom um <laughs> and uh, chris actually brought this up and i'll let him do it again yeah it's uh if you're a a uh, file management person that you need to have um, most times in Windows, if you're copying from one window to another, you know, you're going from drive to drive or location to location, you have two different windows open. Or you may use a f the file tree on the left panel. But in Linux, you can use a split window. So you actually have your location in one side and the target in the other. And you can just drag and drop across a center, a center bar. Um, and that's in Dolphin or Nautilus, either one. Um, all you have to do is hit F3, or if you want to use um, the, the menu buttons, it's under view and called split. And I used that today for the very first time. I was not aware of that until Chris mentioned it. Uh, but yeah, that is very handy if you want to do like what I was talking about, moving things from one place to another uh, using only the mouse. That's a great way to do it. Typically, what I've always done is just open two windows. Yep. But now you don't and this, see that. This, this cuts down the, the amount of windows you have open on your screen. I really love it. Um, I wish there was default into the window system having split. Um, the, only play, the only way I've ever figured out how to change that is if you change, um, if you ex exchange Explorer Shell with something like uh, Directory Optus, they have a split window. That's the only way I've ever, I don't think there is a way to put split view in Explorer. I don't know. Well, technically, I guess Windows always has it because there's that, that listing to the left that you can expand and that right. is a split view. Yeah, if you try the F3 thing in Windows, you get a handy thing called search. <laughs> <laughs> and search is handy. And particularly in Windows 7, they actually finally got it right. Finally. Yeah. It indexes your drive without throttling up the CPU 100%. And Aaron well, had a noob question. Yes, I, I did. Let him read I, to you. Is there any way for Windows to see a Linux partition? We talk about, about Samba and getting you're in your Linux world and you're reaching into Windows. But let's say I'm on my Windows machine and I want to jump into my Linux box and pull something in. And it's not an NTFS or a FAT32 directory. And being the seasoned... Linux expert that I am, I Googled it, and I found a uh, How-To Forge article written that gives not only one, not just two, but three different ways of doing that. That's impossible. And Tell I, me more. I will put the link in the show notes to that, but there's uh, uh, three different ways to do it. Uh, they're different programs. One, it basically gives you a different file explorer. So you've got uh, your Windows Explorer, and then you run this, Explore2FS is what it's called. And it can read um, EXT 2 and 3. So your newest ones that have EXT 4, you're out of luck on. So it's, this is, is it called trying? This really is an emulator or something like that? <laughs> Sorry. As opposed to wine. Uh, just yeah. get out. There's, <clears throat> there's a big reach. Big reach. Yeah, you were trying. Uh, and then the next one from diskinternals.com is called the Linux Reader. Now, what's great about it is it reads like every file system known to man. Um, Riser wow. SF, HSF, uh, uh, NT, uh, yeah, well, I don't know, you wouldn't need to do NTFS, would you? But it does all sorts of file systems, but it's just a reader. So you can copy something off of the, the Linux partition on the uh, Linux okay. partition, but you can't edit it. I got you. And, so it's similar to the, the unmounted Samba share. Right. And then the last one is a, an 
uh, ext2 or 3 um, uh, installable file system that basically lets you mount a drive like we were just talking about you can mount that drive inside um, your Windows system and treat it as if it were a D drive or an E drive or an F drive. Right. So it's almost and like way like back a, in the day. That's the one I used. Yeah. That's so, the well, before my, when I was trying to jump between the two worlds. Um, that EXT two installable file installable file system is what I used before they went to EXT three and four. Well, so my follow up question, and I guess I could use the same program to do this is. If someone gave me a quote-unquote Linux CD with some files I needed on it, could it? Could I put it in my PC and convert it, or am I just hosed? So if I, if I were to put that in my CD drive, could I take one of those applications and point it to that CD and at least read those files? It sounds like I could. You wouldn't need it. Um, when you do your file burn, the the CD file system is universal. Okay. Unless, of course, they mounted the drive uh, or the the optical disc is like a, a and for you know like how you could do a, a formatted disc, mm-hmm. you could format the you know and make it a, make the optical drive pretend to be a writable media or read and writable media. That you know then you'd have to issue. But if they actually just burned a data disc, the CD file system is a universal file system now. Okay, I did not know that. So you're talking about mounting it as an ISO 9000? No, like, oh, I can't think of the, the... Nero used to do it a lot. If you stuck a blank disc in, it would treat it as a drive. Right. So you'd save Where it as it a file. It, you know, rewritable type. It, yeah. Disc, uh, drive to, disc to file or... I can't think of it off the top of my head now. And then my... But, uh, my- I'm sorry, Chris. Go ahead. I was gonna say that 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 hasn't you know that I kind of fell out of favor a long time ago. So I don't think anybody uses that anymore. Well, I've never tried to do this. This was just a hypothetical. You know, yeah, I, was, I, I could send I, you a disc right now with a bunch of you know. I could burn it in Linux. And it could be a and it would be just a universal format that you could be able to read on anything. All right now, whether I could actually handle the files is another story because if they're Linux files. That's not yeah. going to help me to be able to see them, but that leads to my final question, um, which is, again, I was just kind of grasping in a, a lame attempt to add some content and be helpful. Uh, is there any tools to actually convert? Would you ever even need to, or could you convert a partition from one file format to another and retain the data? Is that something you can do from any format to any format? I've never even thought about it until I wrote this question. The only way I have ever converted a file system is from FAT32 to NTFS. Windows has a right. partition uh, utility to do that. Yeah, I've I have never done seen that. anything else. Hmm. And I'm, I even may be possible, but I've never heard of it. That would be almost a scary thing, though, because if you think about it, you're going from a whole f- one uh, one file structure to a whole new file structure. Yeah, uh, at least FAT. From going from FAT to NTFS, they're at least similar. Yeah. But going from NTFS to Riser or EXT three or four, you're going from a, a non-journaled system to a journaled system, or a journaled system to a non-journaled system, and that would be messy. Well, as cheap as as storage space is these days, there's really no reason to ever do it. You would just copy it, move it to a new say, new location in the right format you want, and it would the, the copying moving. 
because part of it would take care of the of the conversion. Yep. So in in the MythBuster style of can you do something, I would call that plausible but stupid. Right. <laughs> it might exactly. be possible, but not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, Who knows how much uh, data loss you would have if you did that trick? Well, apparently, segwaying back, this is, since this is the Aaron Noob segment, my friend John um, left. Yahoo in 08. Probably a smart idea. I don't know where he's working now, but I found his old resume. Here's Here, Chris, just for fun for you. Here's a few bullet points under his work experience at Yahoo. He wrote monitoring demons and raid management utilities for the LSI MPT Fusion HBA and LSI Mega Raid SAS controllers. He added support for booting free BSD from GPT labeled disks directly from the BIOS as opposed to booting from EFI. Don't know what either of those actually are <laughs> implemented support for PCI message signal interrupts and FreeBSD's PCI bus driver extended KGDB to better integrate with GDB, including native handling for kernel module symbols. And lastly, in his spare time, he provided general support for OS issues on FreeBSD, including analyzing kernel crashes and deadlocks and also analyzing user land issues such as runtime linker bugs. I'm amazed at how much of that I actually understood. I'm sure you guys probably <laughs> do. A lot of it was really good. Yeah. Um, if you go back, there's somewhere on um, his blog or something, he talks about when he was in college and he and his roommate started writing an operating system in their spare time. <laughs> well, you know, who has it really? I mean, that's one of those universal things that people do. They sit around and write operating systems. I could probably get him on the show if you're interested. The question is, did he inhale? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. If you get him on the show, I will give you a cookie. Okay, good. <laughs> I will contact him tonight. He would be, he'd be over, he'd probably have more uh, Linux knowledge than we both would, Mark. Oh, I, I have no doubt. Yeah, I'm, I'm he'd not. Probably, a, he'd probably say, what's Unity? <laughs> <laughs> I've, never, I've never even seen that. I don't even know what yeah. that is. Yeah, if Chris is the command line godfather, he's like the command line grandfather. Yeah. No kidding. He's the compiler godfather. Yeah. <laughs> Copycon program.exe. <laughs> All right, Chris. Is there a command line tip of the week? Today's command line tip of the week is cat. Meow. Something like that. Um, it's a good, it's a short little command that works really good if you're trying to see what a file is. Um, especially if you're trying to look at those config files for all those different devices and things that we were talking about earlier in the show. Cat will actually open those up and give you a limit, uh, and it'll dump everything into the terminal. So, if it's a big file, prepare to to scroll a lot or to lose some of it off the top of the the scroll bar. Well, you can cat it but, to another file too, right? Yeah, yeah, you can go from one file to another file, um, which is helpful as well. Um, I like using cat a lot for log files. You know, especially if I know that it's at the end of the log file, instead of using less or more or tail, I might just cat the file because it's you know just as quick and easy. But it's a nice little command. You can check up all the different things on Wikipedia. They have a nice little write-up on how cat is done. The link's in the show notes. Chris, you know I love you like a brother, right? But you are oh, a serious so. geek. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, thanks, Mark. Oh, you're sitting around, oh, I like to, you know, I could use cat or I could use tail, but, you know, I prefer to just go in and read the bits using a hex editor. It's a lot more fun <laughs> that way. Makes it more challenging. <sighs> It's it's all about, you know, how you want to learn to, to play with your operating system. You know, when I was dibbling in Windows, I've talked about a couple of things where I've replaced, like, the File Explorer shell with, you know, Doc Octopus and Light. What is it? 
light, no, not light box. What is it? I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head, but I, I've, I've ripped windows apart and put different Explorer shells in. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I am definitely the true to word tinkerer when it comes to a computer. I had a, a friend, actually uh, a former student who, uh, is one of those guys. I like to say they're smart. They're scary smart. And then there's the kind of smart you don't want to turn your back on. And he was, <laughs> he was the latter. He's the kind of smart you don't want to turn your back on. And literally, in his spare time, he used a hex editor to decompile Windows. And he was working. His, his goal was to have a working source code library for the Windows OS. Wow. Yeah, that's... I, you know, that's legal. I mean, illegal in like every country on the planet, right? It's entirely <laughs> wrong and illegal. But yeah, he would uh, open up um, the like uh, the computer and and start touching pins together on RAM ports to see, you know, what would happen. <laughs> what if he would you do if you shorted this bit to that bit? I mean, he was. Uh, I had some uh, broken. Uh, CDs, uh, CD-ROM discs, uh, drives that I was throwing out. The, I'm sure you've seen this in school, Chris. Kids like to pull the the little belts out and fling them across the room like rubber bands. Yeah. And I had a bunch of them that just had craps thrown in whatever. He asked if he could have them. I'm sure. I don't care. They're trash to me. He took them home, took all the lasers out, put them in an array with a with a <laughs> focusing lens, and made like a a laser that you could cut through wood with <laughs> using, <laughs> using the lasers out of these old CDs. Oh, that's awesome! You know, I had a couple of my friend Bob that were similar to that. Um, not, not the my current student helper, but a couple of student helpers back. He would um literally take the computer. He was a hardware nut, so he'd like take the switches out of the computer cases and Jerry rig them into the motherboards. So that way, if say the buttons didn't work anymore, he could just plug this thing into the, the motherboard mounts and he would have a switch for everything. A hard toggle switch for on off reset. Uh, you name it. If it's a pin, if you get short pins, he had a switch that would do it. That's funny. That sounds just like my friend Bob. I think I mentioned before, you know, he built a plasma uh, arc welder out of uh, UPS battery and microwave power supplies. <laughs> He's like, I cut plate steel last night, Aaron. I'm like, you did what? <laughs> yeah, I cut half inch plate steel. <laughs> yeah, play with those magnetrons out of a microwave. That's, I mean, that'll hurt your grandchildren there. That's, yeah. that's not wise. <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right, Don't so at this point, I think we will gracefully exit from this this conversation <laughs> as best we can, and I'll tell you how you can contact with us. If you have crazy stories you want to tell us, if you have show suggestions, again, as we said at the beginning of the show, uh, we'll be sitting around sometime late Sunday afternoon coming up with a show for next Sunday evening. So If, if you, you can get it to ideas, us by 8.30 <laughs> on Sunday. Right, 8.30 Central Time. We're, that's good. That's uh, that's plenty of time. So if you've got some show ideas or, so, or some questions, if you've got uh, some questions for the Command Line Godfather uh, or for the Gooey Kid, just let us know. And uh, you can do that at our website at elementop.com. You can check out the forums there. Uh, introduce yourself. We have a, a forum there that specifically says introduce yourself. Let us know um, and let other listeners to the show know about you. Uh, if you've got some tips or tricks or anything, put that in there. If you want to send us an email, you can do that at edl at elementop.com. You can leave us a voicemail if you want. We'll play it on the show. That phone number is 559-IAMOP. Or right on our website, there's a leave us a voicemail widget you can use. We're also on the social networks, the Twitter and the, and the, the Twitters and the Facebook. <laughs> you can find us there. 
Uh, just put Element and Opie together, and you're going to find my smiling face somewhere soon. So, uh, so you know, uh, we could also do a, a listener spotlight if anybody wanted to be on the show, too. That would be kind of fun. That would, yeah, and that would prove that we actually have listeners. So that would be a good thing, too. <laughs> that would be awesome. Uh, Chris, you have one scheduled coming up soon, right? Yeah, we do. Um, I had Let me pull up the calendar. I actually got to tell you exactly for sure, but I know it's coming. Okay. I've been doing work for it, so. I want every time you say the five five nine I am Opie, I want to hear it be like in the old speaking seeking space fell thing, you know. Speaking space. Type, and I want I am Opie. I just want to hear <laughs> it say that in my head. I don't know why. I, I always think of it like you know I am the army or or whatever. Right. I am Opie. Whereas that's the the Opie the the vast. Well, I am Spartacus. Yeah, that's right. I am Spartacus. No, I am Spartacus. Um, so yeah, I am Opie. Uh, that's yeah. hilarious. All right, guys. Anything. Uh, remotely intelligent or useful to say before we say goodnight? I didn't think so. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. And so that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.